Enjoy this flyover clip. Deuteronomy 32.8, when the Most High, that's Yahweh the Creator, or in this case, El Elyon, names for the same being, gave to the nations their inheritance. What's inheritance? Inheritance is land. In, in, the, in the Old Testament and the ancient world, uh, inheritance was land. So when it's saying, when God did that, well, when did he give nations their land? When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Scholars will explain to you that the division of the mankind fixing the borders of the people is, that's a, that is a reference to Babel. When God divided the languages, he divided the nations. And you see, you see that connection in Genesis 10. The nations, the 70 or 72 nations of Genesis 10 are the nations that are created when God separates the one people in Babel. He, that's, that's when the nations were created. And in the Jewish mindset and understanding, the 70 nations were Gentile nations, and they did not know God. And in this passage, God himself says, I, I gave the nations of the inheritance according to the number of the sons of God. There it is again. Now, there's some textual problems because some, some translations will say the sons of Israel, and that's because they're basing it on older texts. But now, because of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we now have more ancient texts of that original text that says it's the number of the sons of God. That's a whole other discussion to explain, but sons of Israel wouldn't make sense, actually, because there's a definite division going on here. He's separating these nations from him and his people, right? It says, but the Lord, Yahweh's portion, his heritage is Jacob, which is a synonym for Israel. So he's saying, I think of it this way. Here's how I thought of it that made sense for me. Man you know, falls in the garden, right? And then he gets so evil that God has destroyed the earth. And then God starts all over. And then they get so evil that they build Babel and God has to separate all of it. So mankind just won't stop worshiping false gods and won't stop trying to deify himself, right? And so God finally said, this is how I see it. God finally says, okay, you want to worship these false gods? You know, the Tower of Babel was most likely a ziggurat and a ziggurat was a holy mountain upon which they man believed he made contact with the gods at the top of the mountain in a sanctuary was where they connected with the gods. So this whole idea was the Tower of Babel was about connecting with the gods. And, and God's kind of saying, okay, if you're going to worship these false gods, I'm going to give you over to them. And they're going to be, you're they're You're going to be under their authority, but, but, I'm going to have Israel and, and the lands, the various Gentile nations, that's the territories, right? Uh, very, ancient world is very territory land oriented. Of course, we still are, aren't we? Anyway, um, those Gentile nations will be under the authority of these gods, these sons of God. But Israel, will, Jacob will be my people, right? And then we go, as you read the Bible, you see God marks out his land that he's going to give to his people, that his, their inheritance, just like it says here, is going to be the land of Canaan, and they're going to take it away, and etc. So the idea here is, so the question becomes, well, what are you, what are you saying? Are you saying that you know uh, that these gods are are all real beings? Um, yeah, and there are these watchers who are fallen, who disobeyed God, who violated the covenant. Now the first ones in the flood were um, were judged. Right, the Bible says that he, God placed them into into imprisoned them. Right, so 
what's going on here? Well, evidently, after the flood, there's still some beings who, according to Psalm 82, either they started out good, God gave them under their authority, or they were already bad, and God says, well, Gentiles are evil, so I'll give them over to evil spirits. I don't. Either way, uh, that's, that's the, the end of what happens is they believed the Jews understood that the Gentile nations were under, uh, under spiritual authorities over them. So this is why when you read the Bible, you see like, you know, there was a, a war on earth and there's a war in heaven. Because it's sort of like when there's an overthrow of an earthly king, you hear, you read prophetic language that says, the stars fell from the sky, the powers from heaven fell. Remember I said earlier, stars are understood as divine beings. So they're saying when a king is overthrown, his spiritual divine powers are also overthrown, are thrown down to the earth and are overtaken by other authorities, right? So that's kind of the picture that's going on here. And and there's one other passage in Deuteronomy um, 32 that I just want to give as an explanation for one of the premise of my entire series. See, Deuteronomy um, 32, 8 through 10, in that first part yeah, there, the, the worldview. And then and now... Thir- Deuteronomy 32, 17. And just so He's you know, talking- you already shot the rest of my entire weekend. I'm going to have to be just digging into all this stuff. Like, I, I don't know when I'm going to have any free time now over the next because it's going to be sucked up with studies that you're just sitting. Like I got all these launching points to go off into. So Deuteronomy 32, 17 says, he's talking about the Jews when they went into the land of Canaan and they fell away from God, right? We know that they worshiped the gods of Canaan. And he says, they, Israel, sacrificed to demons that were not God, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea there is that these gods of Canaan that they're worshiping are demons. Now, there's a whole history to understanding demons in the Old Testament. It doesn't quite mean exactly the same way that, that we understand the word now. That's another sort of the language changes. But suffice it to say that that word for demons, shadim, is also understood by scholars to mean these territorial spirits. But the point is, is that there's a spiritual reality behind those gods. Now, does that, you know, so what I... My sort of unique, excuse me, my unique contribution as a storyteller and an attempt to be do biblical research, I, th- I thought to myself, that's interesting because I've always understood the ancient mythology and all the ancient gods, you know, gods of Canaan, Baal, Asherah, Anat, the gods of Egypt, the gods, right, of Greece. And I always thought of, you know, those are just mythological men made them up, et cetera, et cetera. But it seemed like at least in some way, there's an indication in the biblical text that at least the gods of Canaan have a spiritual reality to them. What does that mean? Well, I, th- I thought, well, what if these gods of the ancient world that we know, um, like we have the mythology of Baal, we have the mythology of Asherah and Anat and all this. What if, um, what if they were these fallen watchers, theologically, you know, the, the territorial powers that the Bible talks about, what if they masqueraded and pretended to be these gods like Baal and Asherah, right? And of course, like, I, like I'm saying, there's some biblical warrant for at least making an argument for that. Um, but I thought in terms of story-wise, it, it would be very interesting to show their reality, even though it's a deceptive reality, right? So Baal, so maybe there's an entity, uh, uh, the entities over Canaan, 
uh, Baal, Asherah. Maybe there's some real spiritual demons behind those creatures, and they're pretending to be these gods, you know, Baal, etc. They don't really have the powers that that the the mythology says, but they do have some supernatural powers because they're supernatural beings. And we read Joshua, and we read how they conquered the promised land and all the demonic stuff that they had to encounter, right? So I thought, well, that's a fascinating tale that I wanted to tell, and that's sort of the one of the foundations of my Chronicles of the Nephilim, where you read my novels, you're going to read these gods as if they're real beings. And that's what people might say, wait a minute, is that polytheism? No, no, it's, it's, it's definitely the biblical monotheism in the sense that these beings are at least masquerading to be gods of something that they're really not. They are created being, but beings by God. And that's sort of what launched me into telling these stories because that enabled me to make sense of, and through my stories that you read, I help make sense of the Bible in contrast and in interaction with these foreign pagan cultures and the gods they have. Because when you read the Bible, you see very much that Israelites often fell away like over and over and over again, and they would worship Asherah, they would worship Baal in Egypt. They were worshiping the gods of Egypt, right? So so these things had real effect on the way they understood the world. So so I wanted to bring an understanding of these pagan cultures that interacted and held bondage Israelites, but it also show how God himself overrides those and redeems that that pagan culture in some way, right? It's sort of like in you know, you read Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan is like, you know, you see all these mythical creatures in Narnia. But it says Aslan is Lord of all, right? And he's the Lord over those mythologies. And you can have a pagan version or a righteous version. You know, it's that kind of a concept. These are characters. You got to bring them to life. Like, uh, so I bring like, 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 the, like the screw tape letters or something like that, where it's kind of like, yeah. you know, oh, they have personalities and you kind of see their motives behind. Exactly. And that was, an, that was another component of it that I thought, you know, we, we tend to, uh, this is another preconception that we have. We tend to see these, there's not a lot in the Bible that, that is explained about what's going on in the spiritual realm with these evil entities. So we don't know much. But one of the, one of my biases, I always used to sort of think of the demonic realm as this this army of demons, and they're completely unified, right? Because they're all trying to fight God, and 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 they're you know, and so we tend to see them as this unified enemy. But when we see now that no, they're they're individual watchers over individual powers, and and the Bible describes that when Persia fights with Greece. The prince of Persia, that that divinity, is fighting with the prince of Greece. So there is, it's kind of like the mafia, right? The mafia leaders are jockeying for their own power, and they'll kill one of their own if it can help them get more power. And so I thought that's more realistic in terms of the in the demonic realm that there's, yeah, they had they were unified in war against Yahweh, but every army is going to have its deserters or or its ladder climbers that will over you know uh deceive or overthrow others so they can get on top so i bring that sort of a mafia type paradigm if you could you know put it that way into the the spiritual realm are you having a hard time sleeping at night thinking what am i going to do about my finances you know, times are really changing they're changing fast let me give you a quick example of how in 1920 if you had a 20 dollar bill and one ounce of gold you could go into any men's clothing store and buy an entire suit. Wow. The, the jacket, the shirt, the belt, shoes, the whole bit. 
today, that's what dollars bill. What's it going to get you? Not much. Maybe the socks, maybe a <laughs> handkerchief, but the one ounce of gold could still buy you the entire suit at any men's store in America. That's the difference. That's what inflation does to your dollar. It's a deflating dollar caused by inflation. Now today, that's happening faster than ever. You need somebody that you trust that can help get you out of a fake currency and into something that's going to keep you safe. And we know a guy that has two PhDs by the name of Dr. Dr. Kirk Elliott. We have known him for over 25 years, and he's someone we completely trust. You need somebody that you can get a hold of, somebody that's going to be there for you to get back out of it, and then maybe back into the stock market, maybe back into something else when things settle down. But right now is not that time. You need somebody that you trust and somebody you can call and make those worries go away. That's exactly right. So you can go to flyovergold.com, fill out your information for your free consultation, or you can call 720-605-3900. Do it today. You'll be glad you did. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. I'm still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever. My pillow 2.0. When I invented my pillow, it had everything you never want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of my pillow. The best sleep just got even better. Whether you have a MyPillow or not, you need to get the brand new MyPillow 2.0. Call or go to MyPillow.com now. Use your promo code, and for a limited time when you buy one, you'll get a second one absolutely free. You're sleeping even better. And cooler, too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Visit MyPillow.com. For more great content, go to flyoverconservatives.com. 